Hello everyone, welcome to Plastic Science. I'm back after a very, very short hiatus. I just couldn't stay away. Season two has a special theme and that's plastic science around the world. I'll be examining different countries in the frame of plastic surgery, beauty standards, historical moments in time and products. Let's get right to it with the body part heretofore unmentioned on this podcast, eyelids. Eyelid surgery is now one of the most common aesthetic procedures on earth. We will today go through its winding and problematic history, its meaning in the European beauty standard, and the actual procedure itself. There are a few different types, like double eyelid surgery or eyelid lifts. For all operations, there's a scleral shield put in place before the surgery, which is like a large, tough contact lens on your eyeball, to make sure the surgeon won't accidentally nick the eye itself as she or he is working. The reason I know this is that I got to observe a surgery during my university studies. I was actually involved in making a promotional video for the university. And after I did my little monologue in the lab, I thought I was done. But then they said they wanted footage of a student in an OR observing a surgery. So I was absolutely delighted. I'd never seen a surgery in person before. At that time, however, I was also really weirded out by eyes, unfortunately. Touching them, the eyeball, the inner water lines, everything. It was a big problem. Anyway, so I arrive in on the day and I put on my gown, not knowing what surgery is going to be performed. And I walk into the OR and see the patient's face is surgically draped, all but her eyes. And I just thought, oh dear God, no. It's the eyelid surgery. And I thought anything but this. I wanted to walk, but the camera guy was already angling himself to be opposite me on the table. And I thought, okay, people have put time into their schedule. Let's just knuckle down. So the surgery commences and I'm chatting to the surgeon, actively looking around anywhere but down. And at one point the cameraman just says, uh, Liza, we need you looking. Can you focus on the operation, please? And so I force myself to look down and the rest is just torture for me. I actually found that promotional video a few minutes ago before recording this. <laughs> they didn't use any footage from the OR. It's just me and the surgeon having a face-to-face -face chat and scrubs after. <laughs> the footage of me probably would have hurt the university, so I don't doubt their reasoning for cutting it. But anyway, anyway, I'm glad to say I'm over that now and I'm ready for this podcast. The surgical term for the eyelid surgery that I saw is called blepharoplasty. Blepharon is ancient Greek for eyelid and plasty referring to plasticos, something that is changeable. The first ever recorded eyelid surgery was around the 10th century performed by Arabian doctors. They surgically removed extra skin and fat from around the eyes in the name of improving the patient's vision. In 1818, a Prussian military surgeon, Karl Ferdinand von Greif, coined the term blepharoplasty. A century later, this surgery stepped into a new phase after World War II and was derived from racially driven beauty standards. After the Korean War in the 1950s, the American military doctors performed blepharoplasties on the local Korean women to create an eye that the stationed troops would find more attractive. They also operated on the men, the rationale being, and I quote, 
The squint in his slant eyes meant the Americans could not tell what he was thinking and so did not trust him. This was a really troubling moment in history. Racism here found a place in the operating room. The surgery performed was called double eyelid surgery and it would mark the massive shift to Eurocentric beauty for Korea and for the rest of the world. Caucasian features dominate the world's beauty standard. This is something so apparent every time I write these podcasts or look back through plastic surgery gone by or any average magazine for that matter. The Eurocentric standard is white skin, straight hair, big eyes, thin nose, slim figure. Thanks to centuries of colonization and beauty racialization by Europeans, certain societies have changed. The problem is given the term colorism, a preference for light skin tones and devaluing of dark skin. This is a genderized phenomenon, mostly affecting women, and is seen the world over. In India, a lighter skinned job candidate is more likely to be chosen over a darker skinned person. In America, a white woman is paid 21% less than a man, and a black woman is paid 38% less than a man. In 2013, a dark-skinned woman won the competition of Miss Brazil, but so severe was the social media backlash and the range of racist attacks on her that after her win, they removed her title and replaced her with a light-skinned woman. But these days, Western beauty culture tells women to darken their skin, make their hair voluminous and curly, make their lips bigger, and do squats or get fat grafting surgery to get a more voluptuous figure. The irony being that these are features naturally found in black women. South Korea has the highest per capita rate of plastic surgery in the world. There's almost a million procedures performed annually. It's not uncommon for a teenager to get a surgery of their choice for their 16th birthday. If a blepharoplasty is chosen, it will cost around 3000 US dollars it takes around two hours, and there's no need to stay overnight in a hospital. I'd like to read a quote here. It says, There is a saying in Korea that your beauty is your ability. The younger generation who have just graduated tend to get plastic surgery so that they can get a better job. Your beauty is a kind of CV. Said Celine Hong, a photographer in an interview with Vice. Seoul is the plastic surgery capital of the world, and so examining this city gives a load of insight into the field. Change has been simmering over the last few years. In late 2017, Seoul Metro and Underground stations banned advertisements for plastic surgery clinics. There's currently a wonderfully named movement in favour of natural beauty against the conformists called Escape the Corset. This doesn't refer to any literal corsets being removed, Rather, the female oppression of having to undergo surgery to advance in Korean society. This extends beyond plastic surgery to makeup as well. Beauty and skincare products are advertised heavily and influenced heavily by K-pop stars, and the realm itself is referred to as K-beauty, K for Korean. K-beauty first emerged in the West in the form of BB cream, standing for blemish balm or beauty balm. It was brilliantly marketed as a moisturizer, primer, sunscreen, foundation. Since then, K-beauty products are the most exported and desired around the world. This is a $6 billion beauty industry. 
Korea is the world leader of skincare products, with cosmeceuticals focusing on natural ingredients, snail secretions, salmon egg extract, starfish powder, bee venom, and even synthetic snake venom. The snail secretions mixed into moisturizers has one really main active ingredient, and that's snail mucin. The snail produces antimicrobial agents to stay healthy while sliding on the ground. These same antimicrobials, as well as water-binding molecules like hyaluronic acid, make for an anti-inflammatory, hydrating substance, perfect for skincare. As regards the sea creatures, a starfish has remarkable control over pigment in its body. It can use melanin to block off and contain a pathogen that is attacking it. It was realized that the starfish uses a chemical called Asterina pectinifera, which inhibits melanin formation. For human skin, it means the skin stays lighter. And for beauty, paler skin implies youth. Asterina pectinifera is so effective at controlling melanin that it has been tested on skin cancer cells in the lab, which leads to a decrease in cancer activity of those same skin cells. Licorice is another component of some skincare products. Licorice has glycerizic acid, which stops cortisol from breaking down in the skin. Cortisol is your stress hormone, and when it degrades in the skin, it causes redness, swelling, itching, and pain. So the glycerizic acid of licorice is a major anti-inflammatory. And anyone guessing about the artificially made snake venom, it's probably just as you imagined. It's used as a nerve toxin, decreasing wrinkles. Instead of injectable toxins like Botox, the synthetic viper venom is a topical product. It causes reversible antagonism of nerve receptors, which is to say short-term blocking of nerve function, short-term wrinkle relief. A core principle of K-beauty is not just rejuvenation, but prejuvenation, as in limiting dryness and melanin from a really young age. Did you know that if you don't have a medical doctorate, tattooing is illegal in South Korea? All the surgeries and body modifications that go on, only an MD can be a tattoo artist, which is why most of the tattoo shops are illegal and underground. What a fascinating country. Thank you for listening in this week. Join me next time where I'll put another country under the microscope. I hope everyone is getting vaccinated and still making those good choices out there. Until next time, over and out.